0: Welcome along to the Red Star Radio weekend edition, and it's a special election edition. You've had the Canadian election edition, and we know you all enjoyed that one. You've had our review of the British Party conference season, and we know that you really all enjoyed that one. So uh, to go into the next installment of uh, Bourgeois Politics, we're going to uh, the most important and central Country in the European Union. And we've got a guest along today to talk about that. Leila, do you want to introduce our guest who's joining us today?
1: Yeah, so we have um, Michael Burkhardt back. Um, he's a master's student and writer in Berlin. Uh, he was with us when we did our first pre German election results episode, and now he's back to do the postmortem. How's it going, Michael? Thanks for joining again.
0: Hey,
2: thanks for having me.
0: So, um, the german election took place uh, a couple of weeks ago now but the uh the parties are still very much in the uh what will be called the horse trading phase and so michael can you tell us about what the results were in terms of the potential government formation and were there any surprises uh what's the picture there at the moment
2: yeah so um there were quite a few surprises so Um, First of all, against uh, the uh, historical trend, um, uh, Labour won. It has uh, uh, 25%. It gained like 5%. Um, The Christian Democrats, after uh, Merkel's legacy, uh, went down by almost 10%. Uh, So uh, they're now um, somewhat even with a Social Democrats with um, 24% for the Christian Democrats. The Greens gained, uh, they've got um, 15%. And uh, the Free Democrats, like our German Libertarians, um, they were able to to gain a bit. And um, the the far-right AFD, um, they've proven to be quite stable Uh, even without any uh, emerging refugee crisis with about 10%. And the biggest, yeah, the biggest surprise probably is um, the left, the Linke, that uh, fell down uh, below our uh, 5% uh, threshold and only got into parliament by uh, a technicality. So... um, What you have for the first time since 1949 is uh, both uh, Volkspartei, both uh, the Social Democrats and the Christian Democrats um, together with less than uh, 50% of the vote. Uh, You have a quite fragmented um, parliament now. Uh, It's quite even among all of the parties. which is kind of an erosion of um, uh, the, the Volkspartei historically. And yeah, there, there are a few things to say about that. Um, one is that um, given that uh, most voters have a strong desire for uh, a significant change uh, after eight years of um, a grand coalition led by Merkel, it's quite... It's it's quite uh, obvious that there will be no second, no no more uh, grand coalition now. That um, the most likely coalition is going to be um, the, the traffic light coalition led by um, social democrats, the Greens, and the um, Free Democrats. Um, the only really are. Uh, The only real uh, alternative to that would be a a Jamaica coalition led by uh, Christian Democrats, of the Greens, and then the Liberal Democrats, the Free Democrats. But uh, that's not that's not likely, given that the uh, CDU or Christian Democrats are in. Totally, total disarray like, um, that, that was a big that really was a big disaster for the conservatives and uh, they will need um, they will really need a few years to recover from uh, the Merkel legacy and yeah just one more thing I would I would add to this is that um, this election probably more than any election under Merkel was really an election of uh, desperation. Um, Like most voters really wished for change, but um, there was no real candidate that promised them anything uh, like that. So uh, I think uh, up to a week before the election, uh, according to, to polls, uh forty percent of all voters uh really did not know who to vote for and uh so it were mostly minor uh shifts in publicity that uh, may accounted for that s p. d victory which was quite a bad result given uh the given its sources given where it's, uh where it once was
1: And this three-way coalition that you're talking about, so um, it is historically unprecedented in Germany, eh? Like it's been the two uh, big tent parties that have dominated the politics for quite a while.
2: Yes, exactly. Uh, On on, on the federal level, it would be totally new. It's Mm -hmm. unprecedented. But um, like several states already uh, had experiments like that successfully so but um on the federal level this is completely new and um, yeah yeah it's, it's quite mm. new
1: um can you talk about the most likely candidate for chancellor olaf schultz of uh, the spd and yes. like what, what he's about
2: <laughs> yes of course um olaf Scholz is like you, you could compare him to the likes of uh tony blair like uh there are <laughs> there are um uh, newspaper articles where he from the eighties, where he talks about um, uh, how the student movement needs to uh, needs to dismantle capitalism and uh, imperialism, and how Germany is um, is uh, just a means of the uh, capital capitalists, and how everything needs to be. Um, Dismantled, basically. However, that attitude changed quite quickly. He uh, became an attorney in the 90s, um, and quickly uh, rang up, uh, climbed up the ladder uh, in the SPD. He uh, got famous uh, as a um, uh, within the SPD as its secretary from 2002 to 2004. Uh, there he was, um, uh, that was uh, the time when Germany was led by a red-green coalition. And uh, that was also the time when the grand assault on the working class happened. That was the Agenda 2010. So he is often described as the um, intellectual architect of the Agenda of Gerhard Schröder. Uh, He was, uh, among other things, a labor minister from 2007 to 2008. He was um, mayor of Hamburg from 2011 to 2018. Uh, There he got famous for um, allowing uh, the police to use vomitive agents on drug dealers, which caused uh, death and he was also, um, uh, yeah, vice chancellor since 2017, and uh, finance minister. Um, yeah, another thing which, which is quite important, uh, beside the uh, beside him being the uh, um, uh, the intellectual architect of the Agenda 2010, was that. Uh, Together with that reform, he uh, also was responsible for changing uh, the uh, system, uh, the, the the way that Germany financed of uh, its healthcare system. So usually, up to then, up to two thousand three, you would have like a um, a amount of money uh, given to each hospital in Germany for um, every day that uh, a given patient is hospitalized. And with Olaf Scholz uh, and um, SPD, that changed. And they introduced a system that would uh, place more pressure on hospitals to be uh, economic, to be efficient. And I think uh, that is one thing that has to be stressed given the uh, current crisis because... um, uh more than ever now um the the uh stress uh in the healthcare system lies on, on um uh, workers and uh, the whole system is uh badly financed. Yeah, Olaf Scholz is in many ways um the face of austerity and he was also um the face of uh what's probably one of the biggest um tax frauds in Germany. Uh, like he uh had when during his time in Hamburg, uh one Hamburg Bank, it's called the Warburg Bank, uh had a meeting with him where it was about um talks where they would need to repay uh money that they took from um basically the federal state and there are suspicions, although no real evidence, that Olaf Scholz politically backed um, the bank, that they would not need to pay back that money.
0: Well, he really does sound like Tony Blair. <laughs> a lot of similarities, given um, Blair actually started his career as a ambitious young Marxist lawyer, um, yeah. writing... Uh, writing um, groveling letters to the Labour Party leader at the time, proclaiming his uh, ardent admiration for the thoughts of Marx in the Communist Manifesto. Um, (laughs) um, Something that he rapidly shared um, when he got a safe seat in Parliament. Um, (laughs) So Schultz sounds like, uh, well, the ideal man for the German ruling class, given his background. Um, But so... Currently, it seems like the, the talks between the SPD, uh, the Greens, and the FDP are stalled. Um, I was looking at the latest uh, news um, on the uh, Deutsche Welle website, and it says that they, they're still trying to reach some kind of a deal. Um, are they likely to? Is this still likely to be the, the coalition, given that it's taken them now two weeks to hold these talks?
2: Uh, yes i think so i mean um uh the last uh the last german government took really took months to be to to be built and um i mean there are considerable differences among the parties but um uh in my opinion there there's no real scenario where um uh, anything different than the ample coalition would be built. Um, there are strong incentives for all parties to keep it together. Um, uh, after our uh, 2017 election, the uh, FDP or Free Democrats, uh, they uh, essentially became a meme uh, after they... Um, stopped the negotiation talks and their, um, uh, party leader, uh, Christian Lindner stepped out to the cameras to say, uh, it's better not to rule than to rule badly. And that, that, that became quickly, a mean, because yeah, he, he's, he's basically, uh, a walking joke, and nobody uh, takes uh, any uh, no, nobody would take something like that serious like he's a proven narcissist, and their whole campaign was basically his face in black and white everywhere in the streets <laughs> um, yeah, when it comes to the greens, they've stressed the fact that uh, this is a, a climate election and that there's oh a real God. need to combat climate change and um, I can't see, given the fact that they are more likely to to push through their um, their agenda with the SPD. I can't see them um, halting the talks.
0: So, just as a supplemental to that, on the specific question of the Greens. When we last spoke, uh, the Greens were m- very high up in the opinion polls and like um, the uh, usual suspects of the British left were getting very excited about a Green-led German government and they fell away to well, less than 15% of the vote. So why did the, the Green surge, if you can call it that, fail to
2: materialize? Um. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a good question, I. Um, it's hard to tell. I mean, I don't like these explanations where you uh, where you just go back to uh, uh, media narratives and bad PR. But essentially, that was it. I mean, there are only nuances more than differences in terms of. Um, real substantial uh yeah stuff when it comes to 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 what these parties are planning and uh, what these people have in mind um but their uh the media coverage was uh particularly um um bad for the greens because um uh, their uh candidate for for uh Chancellor Annalena Baerbock. Um she um uh she wrote this book and there were quite a few reports that uh she essentially copied uh uh big parts of uh some of the passages in the book and um yeah that that really didn't turn out well. Other than that, really it is it is uh almost a tradition for for the greens to to uh uh have got polling numbers and then um shortly before the election uh they usually uh, always um collapse into nothing yeah but um it was a, i'm really not i'm really not happy with this with this explanation but a lot of um A lot of uh, election campaigning was really just bad PR. I mean, um, someone like Armin Laschet, uh, when there were the floods in in, uh, Western Germany, uh, he was caught laughing in the background while Scholz talked to the cameras, and that was like, uh, that was also a a huge problem because i mean there were there a lot of people dead and um a lot of a lot of uh, damage being done and people were quick to to connect connect the floods with climate change and stuff like that and just a huge disaster and then you have basically um mean Lashed like uh a laughing in the background because someone made a bad joke or something and uh, the whole the whole election campaign was driven by by bad pr like that particularly when it came to 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 Laschet and Baerbock, whereas someone like uh, Olaf Scholz um he's quite serious in that regard like he he has he has really no charisma, and it's uh, it's quite hard to to uh, provoke him to do something stupid. And I think, in that regard, relative to to Baerbock and Laschet, uh that was a strength.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So. I wanted to ask you this earlier, but now we're at the question, so it's perfect. So the three-way coalition that seems to be that will be formed at the federal level in Germany is is new for that level of government. Um, so my question is yes, so will this be stable and what kind of features do a three-way coalition versus a two-way coalition which had been traditionally the arrangement in German politics at that level? Uh, what kind of government do you think that will lead to in terms of stability
2: i I have no real doubt that uh uh, this is going to be stable i think um all three parties um in in the most important areas of policy and politics are they 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 share the same uh views and the same assumptions like you have um you have a lot of states where uh They've tried experiments like that, um, let it be a, a Jamaica coalition or an Ampel coalition, but um, there was really there was never a real necessity to to try that on on the federal level. And now that they have to, there's it seems quite obvious that they that these parties actually match quite well. Olaf Scholz quite uh, early pointed to the fact that uh, the FDP rather than uh, Die Linke are uh, his uh, preferred uh, partner in a um, three-party coalition and all the three parties are are um, united in um, their support for um, the EU. All Parties uh, stress the fact that um, climate change needs to be uh, uh, tackled and grappled, and uh, these are really the two uh, most dominant themes in uh, the whole election campaign. And any difference between them is just of of um, it's it's quite small, to be honest. The only the only. Area where I can where I can really identify some uh, substantial issues uh, is uh, with um, the FDP being being quite uh, more to the right when it comes to economic policy, but um, the the former coalition with uh, with the conservatives proved that the uh, SPD really has no problem with that. Like for them, it's just an excuse that they uh, that um, uh, German that the German working class can't have it all because uh, bad Christian Lindner is, uh, um, is a finance minister and uh, he doesn't want to spend money and uh, I don't see any real any real reason why that should be a problem for uh, stability of a coming coalition.
1: I I think it's really interesting that the, that Germany is moving towards. What I, hearing you, it sounds so familiar to what's happened to Canadian politics as well. So we're having more and more minority governments, um, which is a situation where no one party gains a majority in parliament. And so, I mean, they technically could do a coalition government, but that's never happened in Canada. So instead, what they've been doing is just going on a vote-by-vote basis, um, and it, it, it's, it's but it, it, it leads to more um, unstable political um, uh, situation because uh, an election could be pretty much called at any time. Uh, There is like an important vote. Um, So, but I think what's really interesting and familiar to me is the fact that the parties in Germany seem to be getting more and more alike and there isn't um, a substantial difference between them. And I've, I think that's very much happened to Canada. Like the parties are more and more alike and you're having more and more Minority governments, which means that it causes them to become even more alike in practice as well, since they usually don't have an interest in um, triggering an election at any one time. Uh, at, at any time, so they they that they're um, encouraged to work together, uh, which makes uh, any uh, differences that they had um, uh, it, it it kind of uh, attenuates that even further. So yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like it's like it. it it does. It does lead, though. At least in the Canadian situation, it's led to um, a hesitancy amongst the parties to pursue ambitious uh, goals because they know that they may be up to an maybe uh, maybe may um, may dro- like uh, walking into an election at any time. Um, but I guess that's not really the case in Germany. Like, you don't have the same. Like it, it's once a coalition is formed, it is pretty stable for the next four years until the next uh, election is due, right?
2: Yeah, it, it's quite stable. Like, um, they, they there have been thoughts going around that uh, a minority government would, uh, would be possible, but uh, given given the uh, turn of, of the election, um, th- that would still need two parties, and um, yeah, that's that's not a real option for any anyone involved and these these politicians um particularly like merkel they always emphasize that that's never an option and they need reliable majorities in the parliament to uh, do what they want basically
1: yeah i mean stability is super important in monopoly capitalism Um, but i think that the increasing inability to choose just one party or in Germany's case, two parties. Um, I don't know. It seems like there's, le- capital is kind of, doesn't really know where to go anymore, but it still, it still creates the governments it needs to ensure that stability um, necessary for monopoly capitalism. But yeah, I guess we'll see how this 3 way coalition goes. I mean, I'm sure it'll be fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in the case of Germany, uh, because you were talking about ambitions um, there's no real space for anything like that Mm. Um, yeah very interesting um, yeah given Mm -hmm. given um, given the EU um, the only aim of of any of these parties is to hold uh, it all together to Mm -hmm. to uh, stop the EU from collapsing to maybe postpone its decay but other than that um, I mean there are only empty phrases when it comes to real substantial issues, uh, when, when uh, uh, like a year ago, uh, there was a poll that indicated that uh, the most important um, question for German voters uh, was, uh, beside uh, climate change, uh, the question of migration, and migration played virtually no role in the election whatsoever. Because frankly, there's, uh, there's no room for that. You can't discuss it really because uh, uh, most politicians only, uh, say that, uh, will only say that they try to opt for a European solution, which means that uh, in, in the shadows of Brussels, they will try to, to uh, get some shady deal with uh, Aragon or whatnot in order to keep the migrants away. So that the AFD won't grow in its strength, and uh, same as with with mm-hmm. industrial policy, you you just can't you can't pursue any industrial uh, program within the EU. You can't you can't ensure uh, a decent uh, standard of living in the German countryside uh, within the EU. You can't really. Uh, do anything substantial. That's why uh, the German political system is in a, in a, in, is, is just uh, busy keeping the EU together and halting uh, its decay. Mm.
1: You want to go ahead, Alex?
0: Yeah, that actually leads to um, – I'll jump forward slightly in the questions because you started talking there, Michael, about the priorities for the new German government from the German ruling class. And from what you're saying there, like the priority from the DIM ruling class is keep everything going as it is. Would that be correct to say?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, th- that's always like the underlying aim, like um, keeping, uh, not having the EU collapse. The, the old Merkel mantra, uh, if uh, the Euro fails, um the eu fails uh, it's basically still working for all the parties so um, uh, that's the premise with which every every party is operating and uh, new in the uh, 2021 election is that um, the issue of climate change has has, uh, has uh, come to the attention of uh, the public and um, that um, almost every party w- with the exception of the AFD is committed to uh, combat climate change in, in a very disastrous way, basically. Uh, how, how disastrous do you mean? Um, so uh, since I think it was since 2000 or something since in the last 20 years basically the uh, the energy prices in germany raised by 130 percent um it the whole issue of um of uh promoting more renewable energy has been has been basically a a a war against uh, working-class people. I mean, many of these people can't or, or struggle to, to pay their bills, particularly when it comes to, to uh, energy, when it comes to housing, um, uh, the, the, uh, the CO2 tax that is now, um, the, the, the carbon tax that is now being discussed in, in uh, German media um is another is another puzzle uh, it, it is like the the rising energy prices um, this is something that affects everyone and yet you find uh people in the media saying ah yeah this is good actually because uh this way we uh, won't consume as much energy and uh this this way, we're going to combat climate change. You have someone like Katharina Barley, who is uh, from the Social Democrats and uh, vice president of the EU parliament, who who uh, uh, said that uh, the, the cheapest kind of energy, she, she said that in, in, in television, the cheapest kind of energy is that energy that you didn't consume in the first place. So this wow! Um, what a profound statement. Yeah, yeah, that is really some genius shit. Um, <laughs> let, that, let them eat cake, you know. Um, yeah. it's it's uh, it's it's really uh, puzzling to me how, how you can dress up uh, such an such an obvious attack on the living conditions of normal people as a way to to quote unquote save the world. Um, yeah, like Friday's for future was uh, was a, such a big media happening in in Germany it was uh, so vividly covered like you had these uh, you had these kids in in TV all the time and uh, the moment uh, some some uh Industrial worker starts to to uh, mobilize against these plans that actually threaten his living conditions. These people are decried as um, as reactionaries. Yeah. Like right now, you have a Volkswagen in Wolfsburg openly uh, openly playing with the idea of firing up to thirty thousand people because now they have Tesla near Berlin and uh, Tesla is way more efficient than uh, Volkswagen. And um, the, the German car industry needs a uh, capitalist rationalization. They need to get better. They need to be, to, to stay competitive. And this is now done under the umbrella of um, saving the world. And uh, a lot of people are, are rightfully so, um, viewing this as a threat to their living conditions.
0: Well, and correctly so as well. I mean, um, energy prices here have tripled over the last 20 years. or they've always Mm -hmm. been above the rate of inflation ever since the the energy market was privatized and uh, then deregulated in the late 80s. Um, And also, like, there's been all manner of uh, strange... um, um, environmentalist schemes run by the government from like carbon trading now through to the, the fixation on uh, covering the entire east coast of the country in wind farms, <laughs> yeah. um, which doesn't make any sense for, for a whole variety of reasons. But this is, I think the, the way you put it, Michael, is exactly right, which is that wherever this is talked about within the ruling classes of the advanced capitalist nations, its aim seems to be two things. Which, firstly, to uh, cover an attack on the working class, firstly, in the domestic working class, and secondly, for sort of cynical use in international politics against um, more developing world economies who need to burn more carbon based fuels. But, Layla, aren't you? Uh, your, we covered in the Canadian election special, didn't we, how every single Canadian party is now committed to the same set of useless climate change policies.
1: Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, it's a, that's another similarity that I was um, forgot to mention that, um, yeah, all of the Canadian political parties are committed to dealing with climate change. Uh, it's a difference in degree amongst the parties versus in kind. I think um, it's interesting because during the last Canadian election, the, there was a um, – w- during one of the debates, the moderator asked the Green Party, like, what the point of that party was anymore because all of the parties in Canada have taken up the mantle of saving the planet. And similarly as to Germany, although we haven't had this kind of propaganda yet, um, energy costs have been increasing drastically, at least in my province in Ontario. Um, But I think that there are, to ask you, Michael, like uh, Germany is still, despite, decreases in this regard. It still does a lot of manufacturing, especially for European standards. Um, So uh, in Canada, there is still uh, an interest amongst the capitalists to keep energy prices relatively low because it is an input cost for the manufacturing that happens. But I think that their interest in this has been decreasing as manufacturing has decreased as well. Um, So is is that a a concern as well for the manufacturer's? of um of germany increasing energy costs
2: yeah yeah it 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 is Uh, i just read a statement where um, Olaf Scholz also um emphasized the need to to uh, keep relatively low energy prices uh for in in order to 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 stay competitive on the world market yeah Uh, but um like the issue is just that um 2011, 2011, we, we, de- we declared the end of nuclear energy after after Fukushima and after Merkel, who who, who studied physics, uh, found out that uh, uh, <laughs> nuclear uh, energy might lead to some um, yeah externalities. Let's say um, <laughs> we 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 likewise um, uh, want to 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 um, exit coal. But uh, given our uh, exit from nuclear energy, our exit from coal energy will be quite delayed if we don't. I don't know. Put up a windmill every two meters or so. <laughs> like uh, it's 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 a dead end in a way, and I, I wonder how uh, how long it will take until voters find out that um, either we're gonna we're gonna import more energy from. I don't know france who 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 which runs uh, several uh, nuclear energy plants or from Poland where, where coal is is uh is very vivid um i just it it just seems so obvious to me that um this is going nowhere
1: mm. well um so there are the the kind of the core parties that exist um so one would expect in a situation of a bit of gridlock, uh, ideological gridlock amongst the main parties, uh, it opens up a possibility, an opening for other smaller parties to um, seize. Uh, but uh, Die Linke, uh German's left party, got a bad result. Um, so do you think that, you know, perhaps with this new... What is sounding to be like a new another few years of gridlock and um, pseudo action do you think that Delinke might might um, recover
2: um, I don't know it, it be it, it depends on what you mean by recover like I I, I don't I don't think that we will ever see uh, um, de Linke again as as we did uh, after um, after uh, the agenda 2010 and uh, particularly after uh, the um financial crisis um because um w- what has been tried then was some sort of coalition with um the old industrial working class and um given the uh, discussions that are happening Right now within the party, I don't see that coming back. I I, I can't I can't imagine um, Die Linke uh, going back to that path, and I can't imagine them being successful even if they tried. So Die Linke was in Eastern Germany always um, the successor of the Socialist Unity Party. And for a lot of Eastern Germans, um, it was just, Voting for the Linke was just a means of um, ensuring, ensuring that their interests as East Germans uh, are going to be taken seriously on the federal level. And, uh, whereas in the West, it had more like a character of a, uh, of a protest party against, um, against uh, social democracy a la uh, Olaf Scholz and Gerhard Schröder. Mm-hmm. And a uh, Wagenknecht uh Sarah Wagenknecht uh, which we talked about uh the last uh, episode was is pretty much a figure that tries to to um to reintegrate um uh, the old industrial working class uh into the party she always emphasizes that um like uh, stuff like identity politics ultimately uh, is uh, very de- uh, divisive because um, it just scares away uh, normal working people. And um, every time uh, you hear the uh, uh, Linke politicians uh, trying to, to answer to journalists. Um, In regards to the bad result, Wagenknecht is always the elephant in the room. And um, right now, um, what seems to be um, the dominant explanation for the bad result is that uh, Wagenknecht scared of a lot of potential D-Link-Wähler, which which is quite, um, which is a joke, actually. I mean, um uh I, I said in the beginning like uh the linke only won on a technicality at one because it uh three of its uh, politicians Gregor Gysi, Gesine Lurch, and Sören Perman won a, a direct mandate into the parliament otherwise the linke would have failed to um um uh gained 5% and uh they would have would have wouldn't have been in the parliament so um pelman who won his seat in leipzig is someone who for example is more like a, a wagenknecht companion like he doesn't share her views altogether but in interviews he always um emphasizes the fact that a lot of his voters uh, stress the fact that they agree with her views, or that they find her nice or popular, or something like that. And it's indeed hard to say, um, hard to argue otherwise, because Wagenknecht is so popular among among um, not only um, uh, not only a potential linke Wähler, but also uh, among um, basically all, also conservative voters um she's always on tv uh she has her own uh, youtube um show where she covers news and kind of tries to give her own version of um of uh yeah truth i don't know and that's utterly utterly popular like she people go to her speeches when she arrives um even, even her enemies within the party invite her to to give a speech because otherwise no one would come no one would care because a party has no real mm. has no real figures no one who who um, is capable of, of sparking a bit excitement uh, throughout um, voters and what's now uh, the most, Likely route for uh, the link to, to go is that um, um, they um, would just continue as they did. Mm. There is no real, no real incentive for them to to uh, change because um, because um, basically it's in the class interest to 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 split the working class into two halves, into mm-hmm. one half that uh, agrees to. Uh, a process of capitalist rationalization where you uh, lose uh, your job if it's, um, if it's uh, uh, a job based in a uh, fossil fuel industry. Or um, otherwise, when you have a good job, a job that is, I don't know, in the service sector, you, you are one of the lucky ones and you can call the your ally and mm. you can fight patriarchy and uh, uh, <laughs> nationalism, and um, nothing will essentially uh, change. Mm.
1: Yeah, mm. it sounds like a, an attempt at another petty bourgeois radicals uh, party. Um,
2: yes, um, that, I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but there was a there was a um, referendum on on uh, rents. On uh, so in, in Berlin, they uh, tried to. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. socialize um housing and um they actually uh, won. So um uh the referendum uh was voted uh with yes. Uh now um the Senate in Berlin has the task of um kind of socialize um <clears throat> big housing companies. And mm uh what what um some of the party in now states is that actually this kind of uh, politics is uh the way to go for uh, Die linker in in its near future and what i would say is that it's um, totally symptomatic of of um of german leftism because um something like uh socialized housing it's also i would agree that it's uh, in some respect um, a good idea and that uh, you shouldn't uh, let housing to be a a part of a, an issue of a work market but um what these people uh, sell is basically um state capitalism as as the way forward and um if you look at German rents they have um they've been uh, they've risen quite uh, quite harsh. Um, mm-hmm. The housing prices are very, very high, particularly in, in Germany. But mm-hmm. that is not only due to um, private uh, due to private companies, but also due to the fact that there is a huge rural exodus in Germany. There are no mm-hmm. attractive attractive living conditions in um, mm-hmm. in eastern Germany. And also, uh, Berlin is, I would say, the the international refuge of uh, the creative class. Like you have Mm. so many people going there. um, As uh, the former mayor of Berlin, Klaus Wowereit said, Berlin is poor but sexy. Like there is no (laughs) money to finance shit, but you can. (laughs) But the very least you can do is is uh, attract all the people in the world to, to go uh, and, and found a startup in Berlin. And yeah, um, yeah that, that's the way to go for them. And uh, what they view as a solution for this uh, sad state of affairs is just uh, let the state do it.
1: I mean, it's, it's such a classic petty bourgeois approach to this problem because, um, of course, housing is one of those things that affects the petty bourgeoisie um, in a way that that is bothersome enough for them to action politically. Um, but approaching it in the way of, of socializing housing or, or just addressing housing costs alone will never solve that issue because the real issue is a differential between rents and wages. And so if you're still seeing declining wages overall due to increasing living costs, it doesn't matter if you address like maybe you, you kind of reduce rents a little bit. Um, wages in relation will still continue going down, and life as a whole will become more and more unaffordable. The only real uh I, well I, the the real approach in my view is to increase wages which which can only come from the working class it can only come from working class activism, but the petty bourgeoisie never approach that issue in that way. they always seek you know for instance making it easier to buy a home um, or trying to get the government to Um, you know, impose uh, uh, rent controls and things like that. Those things are helpful to a certain degree, but um, they're only temporary fixes. And as you say, it's more of a symptom rather than addressing the core issue here, which is a differential between housing costs and wages, which can only be addressed not by, like you can only address it fundamentally by raising wages overall. Um, Yeah, exactly. issue. We have the same exact problem in Canada. It's the same exact thing and the same um, kind of uh, approaches are being tried, but with even less success because uh, we don't have a referendum on housing costs in Toronto, <laughs> <It> never happened. <laughs> um, okay, so maybe I'll ask uh, – well, yeah. So Okay, so there's the D-link-A. What about the AFD, which is the other kind of fringe far – far-right party in Germany. So D-Link is like far left, I would say, and AFD is far right. Have they gained any support?
2: Um, yeah. So um, if, if you look at most election anal- analysis, um, they, they always summarize uh, the results for the AFD as they have lost the election basically because they went down like 1% or something. Um, but I would say actually it's the other way around. Um that um the real winner of uh the election is is the AFD. Um because um they may have lost one or two percent. But uh, in the end, um, they have proven to to uh, that they are capable of staying in parliament. Like they were formed uh, as a protest party to uh, the uh, to the uh, German handling of the euro crisis, and they transformed into a protest party again against uh, the handling of the refugee crisis. And now it's twenty twenty one, and they are still there, ten uh, percent or something, and uh, they they. Uh, if you look at eastern germany they have they've taken over all the former Linke and uh conservative strongholds just yesterday I was I was comparing um election results from 2009 in in states like in eastern german states like saxony and it's really it's really breathtaking to see um to see the results from 2009 and compare them to 2021 because uh, back then you've had like um conservatives getting like 30 percent there and now it's it's all blue it's all afd it's all uh like to to a very large extent uh afd has captured uh eastern germany because um because quite a lot of people just feel totally disengaged with uh, the German political system. Uh, like they they feel like um, second class citizens. They're, they they uh, say that basically a, a war has been waged against them ever since, and you can't really deny it. Like living standards are. are are uh, worse there than in West Germany, and um, they're uh, basically viewed as, as um, yeah, like, like like little they're viewed like little children who haven't learned how democracy functions, and uh, some politicians, some politicians uh, uh, say that out loudly. Uh, for example, like. Um, uh, Uh, The share of AFD voters who uh, said that they're worried that they might not be able to hold their standard of living uh, is uh, 74%, and that's the highest share of any party. Like These are all people that are worried about their material status, about their well-being in the the near future, and uh, these people have no other other, uh, way of ensuring that their interests are being... Uh, somewhat hurt other than voting for afd so large parts of east germany are now afd lands and uh that goes uh that's quite remarkable now you have like christian democrats who don't even dare to to campaign with their uh uh, conservative logo they like they they they're afraid of of uh, showing a certain certain faces during their campaign because uh they essentially don't want to be don't want to be affiliated with uh, their with their party because everyone hates them there.
0: Has there been any movement on the COVID policies or any differences emerging between the uh, parties? I mean, in the interview I listened to with uh, Wolfgang Stracke, he said there was a certain difference with regard to the the FDP uh, taking a maybe slightly different line. But uh, what's your impression? Um,
2: yeah, so. There are there are minor difference uh, differences. Um, Indeed, the, in the the, the, F, the FDP um, um, was kind of successful in, in promoting itself as um, the party of civil liberties. Um, it was uh, it was often, often in the media for for criticizing. Um, the the government for being too harsh in its COVID regime, particularly when it came to to um, um, civil liberties and uh, questions of um, whether uh, you're allowed to to uh, to protest and to move freely. Um, but uh, these. <laughs> like the, the, the success of the FDP in this regard was that it, it uh, was able to walk uh, the line between um, what's uh, vilified as uh, COVID denialism and what's, uh, um, what's the government line. Like uh, there was very, very thin uh, room for, for the FDP and they basically used that room other than that um uh there is there is no real um pluralism between uh the parties and um most differences are more in detail so so one thing you 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 might need to know about um the COVID regime in, in Germany is that in order to participate in uh, social life, you uh, either need to be, you need to be either um, vaccinated, uh, recovered, so recovered of COVID, or you need to be tested. And until uh, Monday, um, this this Monday, uh, you uh, you were able to get uh, tested for free and this uh, test certificate would be valid for 24 hours and then you were able to to go into to um cinema and university and stuff like that uh now you you have to pay these uh, tests yourself and they cost like i don't know 15 euros 15 to 20 euros which is 2 hours of minimum wage basically so um voters basically get nudged towards um, getting the jab and um, the only parties that uh, really criticize this move uh, where where the AFD the uh, Linke, and uh, yeah the greens but the greens only criticize it on on, on uh, in arguing that it would um, it would diminish the capabilities of the German medical civilian state. So, um, <laughs> because because vaccinated people uh, don't get tests anymore, and uh, if you don't get tested, uh, the state uh, can't say how many uh, positive um, people <laughs> are so running crazy. around the world. So, <laughs> it's it's a it's a very crude yeah. form of of uh, criticism. <laughs> Also, you you, you aren't allow, like, like judges uh, have moved on to to uh, ban demonstrations against COVID in in uh, advance because wow. uh, they argue um, the, demonstra- uh, the demonstrations um, the people there they are not going to use masks and they are, aren't going to uh, social distance from one another. <laughs> and um on, on that ludicrous basis they they um they ba- basically ban uh civil liberties they they ban <laughs> your right to vo- uh, to to demonstrate
1: yeah that's outrageous
2: and um, then the only party that's really against that is, is uh is the AFD and this is uh crazy enough.
0: well i mean that that's much much worse than we ever got it here i mean even at the even at the height of lockdowns either they the police weren't enforcing uh demonstration bans um they would like rough people up punch a few people but the they weren't able to ban it outright it sounds like germany has gone much further down that road than we have
2: yeah we and and Last August, we've had our our personal sixth um, of uh, January when uh, when some demonstrators uh, almost were able to enter uh, the Reichstag, mm. and uh, since then, the whole uh, media is totally traumatized, and every time uh, someone <laughs> someone uh, demonstrates against. Um, Covid regime, or or dares to to uh, criticize the mask mandate, uh, these people are, are are utterly vilified within a few seconds. Like um, uh, there are also there, there's uh, censorship going on. Um, Facebook banned uh, certain uh, chat rooms where um, yeah, so-called anti-vaxxers uh discussed uh uh politics and um there is a real real um there's a real fight against these people i mean these people are are demonstrating uh, for their uh, civil liberties and they uh basically i mean not using a mask uh when you're outside voting uh, demonstrating that's basically civil disobedience, I mean, not more. And these mm-hmm. people act like you're going to to, to to kill your grandma. And um, like politicians from Die Linke, they say like uh, banning demonstrations is really bad and you shouldn't do this. But uh, the police needs to be there and protect uh, people when uh, demonstrators are there. Uh, That's emph- th- basically agreeing with with the premise of the whole thing that uh, people against lockdowns are a terrorists, basically. Like in in late September, you you've had a, a murder of a um, of a employee at a gas station. Uh, he was shot in the head by. Um, by by a person who was outraged by uh, his demand to to put on a mask and uh, the people fastest to 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 go online and basically say um, anti-vaxxers are are terrorists these were leftists these these were these were people who yeah not a surprise anymore. These, these were people who who claimed to to speak on behalf of of working people, of of marginalized people, of people who who are worried about their their standard of living, about their their freedoms, and um, yeah. mm-hmm. it's it's really ruthless and it's worrying to 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 see stuff like this happening. Just yeah. saying, like these people are terrorists is it's is crazy.
1: Yeah, like, uh, we've had, it's not as bad as Germany, but we've had some similar discourse come out in the, from the left in Canada. Um, (laughs) There was, in the Francophone press, they ran a piece um, in one of the major papers uh, in Quebec, which is the uh, French-speaking province. Um, But the Francophone press there has an influence on the rest of the Francophones in Canada. And because the nurses in Quebec there was a, a significant enough portion of them that refused to get vaccinated. And the provincial government there gave them a hard deadline of October 15th to get the vaccination or else they would get dismissed. And so they didn't get the vaccination. And so they were facing a nursing, a nursing shortage. And so the government backed down. Um and said, okay, well, you have until November 15th, but I think that they've pretty much lost this battle. And so then the uh, Francophone press ran a few pieces like, do anti-vaxxers' brains work differently? <laughs> 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 you know, this kind of dehumanization, you know, the, the same thing as calling someone a terrorist um, is very dehumanizing. Um but yeah, it, it's surprising to me to see the left kind of take this authoritarian turn, um, especially in Germany, who has such a, I don't know, more <laughs> like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> a more vivid history of um, this kind of thing. At least the British ruling class lie about the fact that they used to believe in it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but, but the the way these people turn it is that uh, uh, anti-vaxxers are um, are actually uh, right wing, and these are all uh, uh, nationalists, if if not fascist. And uh, if you actually go on and uh, even if you if you read um, studies about these people, they are so diverse. These are often often very weird people with with like with strange habits, like they they. They dance around and and uh worship i don't know worship some some oriental gods or something, but uh most of the time these are not these are not fascists these these are not people who have any problematic views these are just people who are very concerned about their civil liberties and uh particularly the the a f d was was not successful in mobilizing these people most people uh that were that voted against uh the lockdown policy uh, were creating their uh, own party there was a new party formed the basis which was um uh exclusively anti lockdown anti covid regime and none of the parties were really capable of um of getting into this um Querdenker uh, milieu so it's totally ludicrous to say um that these people have have any consistent uh, political ideology other than uh their wish to not be uh to not be terrorized basically
1: yeah it's um I'm still getting my head around it. It's it's quite stunning to see the left take this line, as I just said. It's like you're not allowed to care about anything except for getting sick from More COVID. Um <laughs> climate change, like, um, yeah, we we've had a kind of a similar thing in Canada, where a well far right for Canada, so not that far right, <laughs> um, arose and they they ran the on the, during the last federal election exclusively on basically exclusively on like anti-lockdown, anti-attacks on civil liberties, anti-vaccine passports and vaccine mandates, etc. And um, yeah, I mean, they, say, they face the same kind of hysterical backlash from all of the parties and all of the left, which is basically all of the parties, um, calling them like these, like basically comparing them to. Like, we had prominent commentators compare them to like the SS. It's <laughs> 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 <And so>, like. <laughs> And so it's um yeah i don't know i i think that i i maybe i'm i'm thinking maybe the left is not thinking this through like maybe they think that the government will just is truly just you know watching out for your health and safety and they're going to restore civil liberties and rights when the you know a crisis is over or something but obviously it's <laughs> not the case
0: <laughs> yeah um i i did have one former comrade of mine say to me well um you know this crisis is going to be over as soon as all you lot are vaccinated and then um all of the government's powers will be repealed and to which i asked have they repealed any of the anti-terrorism legislation from 20 years ago uh no yeah. but this is different <laughs> um i mean the the left in britain especially has to continually create fantasy enemies for itself because it's chosen to ignore the real nature of British capitalism for a very long time, and so they've created a fantasy version of it, uh, where it will conduct vigorous fights against the fantasy version of the ruling class, whilst siding with the real ruling class, um, which seems to be a pattern that's going all the way across most of the advanced capitalist nations now
2: yeah yeah exactly this is the same thing in germany like uh they they, they pull off the same the same thing uh as they did with with donald trump like um the enemy is at the same time totally stupid and they they are uh they they can't do shit and they're all weirdos and uh Totally uh silly, and you shouldn't take them seriously at the same time they're dangerous fascists they are all uh there is the a silent uh majority they uh and the, the the fascist takeover may come anytime soon they've been in front of the Reichstag <laughs> and uh, watch out because uh yeah uh, Hitler is going to pop up again it's 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 just like you can't it's so stupid just
1: <laughs> yeah i think it maybe makes a bit more sense than german situation but imagine that discourse but in canada
0: (laughs) (laughs) hitler's gonna come to toronto for the vegetarian food
1: (laughs) 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 but it is it is very silly in germany as well i mean yeah it, it sounds like it's a it's a tough um Tough uh, thing, a battle to fight for those in Germany who are trying to defend basic civil liberties and rights. Um, you know, su- surprisingly, I, I guess. Um, so maybe we'll ask you like the, the final question we had, or Alex, uh, you, yeah, you go ahead and ask the final else? question. Yeah, I'm trying not to just talk about COVID all the time.
0: It is <laughs> something difficult. of our brand, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so Wolfgang Streak who was a really good kind of German uh, uh, political theorist uh, and commentator, observed uh, that Merkel's time in office was defined by her keeping everything unchanged. Um, And do you agree with this? And do you think that uh, Schultz will likely take uh, um, the same approach or do you think he might um, uh, change from that approach?
2: Yeah. um, Well, yeah. I think I said it the last time already, but Merkel's really, uh, yeah, the 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 best kind of narcissistic ad hoc <laughs> crisis manager you can you can envision. Like she, <laughs> look in look into her eyes, and you look into the void. There is nothing behind that. There's just uh, uh, the will to power, and everything she did, every. Every um, change she oversaw was for purely opportunistic reasons. Like there was ne- there was never a debate about some supposed grand vision of society that uh, that's underneath uh, Merkel's legacy. There was only ever crisis management, uh, and every de- decision uh, she she made was informed by uh, by uh, her will. Uh, to to power, and um, uh, with with Olaf Scholz, we basically uh, we basically have now the the male version of of Merkel, um, Merkel Five, mm. if you will. Uh, there <laughs> he, he's even copying her now in terms of gestures and and mm. his whole way of of talking. <laughs> you you you're very lucky to not speak german but if you ever happen <laughs> to listen to a, a speech given by by olaf scholz it's it's just it's it's painful it's you, that 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 man has no charisma that man has no vision it's it's just about managing the state of affairs it's it's nothing like his whole campaign was based on uh respect and uh um, Putting up the the minimum wage on on two euro per hour, and that's it. Like there was nothing that that was in any way uh, substantial or something, and that's totally consistent with this whole legacy, both as both as an old school uh, SPD ghoul and as a, 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 a um, as a vice chancellor of Germany and and its its finance minister. Like there is such a Big fear of populism in Germany uh, throughout the whole society, uh, mainly driven by by the media. Um, that you that any any di- diversion, any 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 uh, display of emotion uh, in, in during the campaign was immediately. Uh, interpreted as, as a populism, as, as, oh, uh, interesting.
1: as something
2: yeah. bad, like mm. um, uh, y- the, the, the four years of, of Trump's presidency. German news were full of Trump news. There was always some apocalyptic headline about what, what Trump is now going to destroy. <laughs> Likewise with Brexit. <laughs> we I, I every time i read uh the uh about the disastrous consequences of brexit every time every day you can you can just open any random newspaper and you will find uh another another uh, evidence that britain is uh Britain is decaying. That Britain is uh, now, with Brexit, uh, going to, yeah, to well, vanish.
0: They're right. I mean, um, I just came from a gunfight at a petrol station uh, over the over the last can of uh, <laughs> uh, diesel. Um, that, which is, <laughs> if you didn't know this country at all, you'd think that's what we were all doing.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, uh, it's it's an apocalypse outside the, the 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 borders of germany there is only there's only misery and the only the only man that can save us essentially is olaf scholz and he's uh, he's on his mission to 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 fulfill the legacy of um, angela merkel and uh, i wish him good luck but we shouldn't we shouldn't expect any change, any change at all, mm-hmm. as I said, like their task is to ensure that the eurozone runs at law as long as it can, and anything on top of that uh, it's it's just up to to externalities it's there's there's uh, nothing to be expected.
0: Well, we didn't know how mm. good we had it with Boris because uh, uh, he he may be uh, an unreliable lazy slovenly fool, but he is at least entertaining. Though I will say, um, if you think Olaf Schultz is boring, try sitting through an entire speech by Keir Starmer. That that man could yeah man could bore wallpaper off a wall.
1: <laughs> I think um this like um you know, political uh sentiment against emotional outburst is very interesting because i feel it's a bit the the opposite in the west or at least in canada the united states where we have politicians crying on tv all the time i think it's interesting that german they don't like that too much
2: (laughs) yeah yeah there there will never be a a german alexandria well thank god for
0: that
1: see that's one thing you guys have (laughs) over the rest um okay well thank you so much michael um I, I had no more questions. Like, did you have any closing thoughts, Alex uh, or Michael? Well,
0: just to say, Michael, thank you for your time and there. It's uh, an illuminating discussion about the uh, the 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 country that's still and the ruling class that still very much drives the EU for all the uh, Macron's pretensions otherwise. Um what the government in Berlin decides is today is what the EU will probably do tomorrow. Uh though as you've been saying all the way through this how much longer this rather unstable equation can last is an open question given that um, the amount of resources and political capital they've had to spend to keep it going over the last 10 years. Whether it can last another 10 is another question. Um, But did you have any final thoughts on this?
2: Um, No, not really. I have nothing to add to that. Well, in
0: that case, uh, thank you for your time. It's been a really good discussion, Michael. Yes, thanks for having me